Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hey everyone, welcome to Ripstop on the Record. I'm Jameson. And I'm Lance. This episode has absolutely nothing to do with outdoor gear. So why are we here, Lance? We're here for the beards, backpacks, and barbecue. Plus, surprise, surprise, not Avery. We got a new voice on the pod. Welcome to the show, Lance. Hey! So back to the beards, backpacks, and barbecue. Our guest is a legend in the carry space, if you know what that is. Known for avant-garde designs, uh, mind-bending fabrics, and then collabs that sell out in minutes. We are chatting with Taylor Weldon from Carryology. Something that I love about Everyday Carry, or EDC, is that we all do it. We do it all the time, every day. It's something we don't even realize. We did a whole episode on EDC just a couple weeks ago, and, and whether you think you like EDC or not, pretty much everyone does it. Whether you have a purse, do you just have the stuff in your pocket, or you have a backpack, you're always thinking about it. So why not learn from the best? So if you want to hear about exotic fabrics, fine components, uh, extensive bag design, all from one of the best people in the market, then this episode's for you. Hey, Taylor, welcome to Ripstop on the Record. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This, this should be fun, I hope. I think it will be. I hope it will be fun too. So right off the bat, I think people have heard of Carryology, which we'll get to in a minute, but everyone listening may not know who Taylor Weldon is. So a little bit of background. Who are you and what do you do at Carryology? So my name is Taylor Weldon. Um, I'm traditionally trained as an industrial designer and I, I went to industrial design school down in Savannah, Georgia at SCAD. Um, there's basically people do like three things. I said, they, they want to go into design cars, um, sneakers, or like cell phones. And I was the only person in our graduating class that wanted to design backpacks. I'm just, I was a weirdo. I was a black sheep of black sheep. So that's how I got into this whole world. I've been designing black, uh, black sheet backpacks for, uh, for, I don't know, since 2006. Um, and I've done work for lots of different brands, big and small. Um, if you're into carry, you probably have used something that I worked on. Um, cause it's been a lot of stuff. I can't even remember some of the stuff I worked on, but yeah, I've, I've been designing bags and accessories, travel gear for, you know, military, um, for everyday people, for business stuff, for tech. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And that kind of led me into, you know, working with Carology. It was like a natural progression, I guess you could say. Awesome. What did you, uh, what did you do before Carology? I went to school and I, I got this fancy industrial design degree, wanting to work in bags and backpacks. And, you know, the, the, the thing that all colleges tell you that you're, you're going to get a job right out of college or you're set. I remember looking at, jobs. I, I remember seeing specifically there was a position for a design director at the North Face. Um, and they were out in California at the time. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm just going to apply for this. I should hear back from them in like 10 minutes and I'll just, I'll start making six figures, you know, like at age 22 or something. And I sent in my resume and application and then never heard back. Imagine that. Because you need like right. 10 years of experience to be a design director at the North Face. But I don't know. I was told this, I thought. So I quickly like went from living in Savannah, Georgia, back to my parents' house, which a lot of 
you know, college age students do. And I was just like, just totally obsessed with sending out resumes and um, applying for jobs everywhere in the world. And like, I just, I think I spent like 18 hours a day just in my back childhood bedroom, just sending out all these applications. And I figured out for every hundred you send out, you get 10 responses, which lead to one interview. So I probably sent out a few thousand applications, you know, just to get my foot in the door. And the first job I took was designing camera bags down in Orlando, Florida. I didn't really know, but my, my thing was like outdoor gear. That's what I wanted to design. But designing camera bags, I didn't really understand that those are like probably the most difficult bags in the carry world as a whole to design because they're they're really complex. It's like a 3D jigsaw puzzle for um, for gear that changes size and scale and shape almost you know seasonally because the new the new camera comes out. Like you got to fit this Nikon, you got to fit this Canon, and all all this stuff, and really really complicated uh, patterning and construction. So that's how I cut my teeth was, you know, working full time. And then from there, um, I went freelance and I worked for, um, I don't think I can say which countries, um, military, but I designed some bags for them. Don't worry. It's, they're like an ally or whatever. I don't know. Uh, it's legal, <laughs> but um, I don't think I can say, um, but um, I've done a bunch of different stuff freelance wise. That was a fun one. Um, I did some stuff for a very large uh shoe company um did a project with them that you know something like that and uh I, I basically did a whole bunch of freelance projects and and kind of jumped around from full-time design position to full-time design position uh, most notably uh magpul i designed all the daca products those little pouches and little wallets and a whole bunch of other stuff for them as well but um i've always been designing for the outdoor industry mostly and travel industry mostly but I honestly, I like all sorts of carry and soft goods and I'll design anything that comes my way. I'm, I want to touch on the camera gear a bit more because I've, everyone mm-hmm. listening is a maker to some extent. We'll make a, an assortment of things and um, I've definitely done some photography. So I've tried to make some camera gear and it, it it is definitely some of the hardest stuff I've had to make. I mean, from what you mentioned of like the sizing of things, it has to be precise because you're often keeping mm-hmm. the camera equipment safe, right? So it has to be protected like drop safe and scratch proof. And like you have to cover every basis of designing mm-hmm. with camera gear. So what did you learn from the des- uh, from designing camera camera bags that has helped you with Carryology now? Because it's they're not all the same, but I'm sure there's some tenants that have been really influential to your designing now. So, you know, one thing that I did learn um, was I'm, I've, I've always been a designer. People say like I'm in marketing sometimes. I mean, I, I, I work on marketing with Carryology, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I just take a picture of something and show it. I don't, I don't know. Um, I've never taken marketing class, but the one thing I learned about like the, the concept of camera bags is you know, people are carrying around, depending on how big the bag is, they're carrying around, you know, 10000 to $20,000 worth of gear. And back then, and I, and I still feel this way, some of these camera bags were $400, you know, $300, something like that. And that's insane. Like back then, my, my top tier budget for a bag of any kind was 150 And let alone, I couldn't afford that because I, I basically had like $26 to my name. Um, so... <laughs> there's these really expensive bags that I couldn't afford. And um, I realized, you know, there's this, this cost and value kind of offering is you can, you can afford to make the the products really, really great, uh, you know, by 
by patterning, by materials, um, exploring all sorts of different like um, cutting edge foams and um, and uh, manufacturing processes. Um, you know, if if people are carrying quality stuff, they want to carry it in a quality bag. So I thought that that, that was really interesting. Is like people will spend money where it actually makes sense um, on quality stuff to protect their quality stuff. So that was kind of a revelation for me is, you know, being in this super budget minded mode because I had to be, and then seeing people spend all this money on bags and it, it kind of opened up my eyes in that respect. Um, as far as construction and design itself, you know, it's really challenging is you're trying to design for very specific items, but the photographers, they don't necessarily have that Nikon camera body. And as soon as you get into camera body, um, they're going to have different size lenses. Maybe someone wants to walk around with a 50 millimeter prime and someone wants to walk with, around with a 24 to 70, which is a different size, different width. So you have to design within kind of this, you want to let them be able to design their own kind of layout with those little uh, Velcro dividers, but also allow them or kind of give them a, a good starting point. So that was really difficult. And I, there was a lot of research involved. I think that was a big takeaway is the research involved with um, with the design of the bags. And that, that's what we learned at SCAD. It's all products are user-centered design. So it means you you kind of establish, it's not a problem, we call it a design opportunity. Um, you find you know what the person, what the thing that they want to do is, and then you design around that. You don't just say, I'm going to make a, a product and it's going to do this. It, it should have a reason, it should have a purpose. You should do the research ahead of time. And it goes pretty deep. I mean, the way we, we learned it is, and, and some brands out there, I was just talking to one of them yesterday or the day before, you know, they even have a person or a persona that they create. And this particular brand, I'm not going to say who, their, their guy is named Jack. And I think he's like 32 years old. I think he lives in Austin and he has like one dog and he drives, you know, this blue Toyota Tacoma. Like it, you go really, really deep. It's, it's a four-year-old Tacoma. It's not a brand new one. And like I can he wears see him already. Jeans, his favorite color is this. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you need to design for that person because you're, you're trying to solve real world issues that are not just like made up to, for this XYZ human that doesn't exist. It's you have to design for people. So that really kind of drove that home. And I, I realized that what they were teaching me wasn't all just bullshit, really. <laughs> That's pretty awesome just to hear all the design aspects that go in a camera bag, right? It's easy to forget how technical and how expensive yeah. the stuff is in there. So um, can we take a quick step back and just how would you define karyology, right? We've used that term a lot already in this podcast. So let's define for anyone who doesn't know what is karyology. So karyology, you know, made up of two words, carry and ology. Um, we recently did a, a project of the Fracta bag, um, which is the Ikea blue bag. That's like, the, I say it's the most punk rock bag in the world. And Fracta actually means carry. Um, and then ology, you know, so I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but, um, carry is both a noun and a verb, you know, talking about everyday carry and I'm carrying my backpack. So it's, it's the way and systems and methods, uh, that we all design and create, um, ourselves for how I'm going to carry and make this more efficient, um, for myself and more pleasurable and enjoyable. And then the items themselves, the things that I am carrying, that is my carry. So my wallet is my carry. And when the wallet is in my pocket, it's the act of carrying. So carryology, the study and ology meaning the study of, which is why I brought up the fractology, is 
we took the word fracta, meaning carry in Swedish, and put the ology in Swedish, and that's the, the name of carology. is kind of a fun play on words. But yeah, carology is ultimately the, the, it's exploring better ways to carry, and that could be figuring out, uh, I, I need to carry less, or carry better, or that could also be like by changing out a certain product that I'm carrying. Maybe this one is better for me and it's going to be lighter weight, or maybe it's heavier, maybe it's more durable, or maybe it's sleeker or something like that. So it's really exploring, you know, all the different ways that we as humans carry things. And, and frankly, like, I think it's a really approachable kind of a hobby, if you will, and as, as well as a study, because people that the first time they're hearing about carology, they're carrying already. Like every single person in the world is already doing this. And this is the study of it. You know, if you've never been on a gear blog, you don't care about gear, you're carrying, you're into gear, whether you like it or not. You have a wallet, you have a phone, you know, the whole slap in your, your pants as you walk out the door, you're into carry. So uh, that's what I think is really cool. It's, it's this thing that like connects all of us in the world together. That's awesome. Thanks for breaking it down like that. And, uh, you know, it's easy just to look into that and be like, oh, it's EDC, it's this. But when you really look at karyology, it covers so much. And like you said, we're all already doing it, whether we realize it or not. But uh, mm-hmm. with EDC, what is in your EDC kit? Can you share that with us? This will be the first time anyone gets to see it, uh, but the viewers will get to see it just after it came out. So the most important thing, this is not the thing, by the way, uh, the most important thing to carry is a bandana. You always need a bandana. Carry a bandana. There's like 7.4 billion purposes for a bandana, so I can't list them all. But you just carry it. Put it in your back pocket and forget about it. They cost nothing. I'm a weirdo, so I like these vintage uh, Holdfast uh, bandanas, Elephant brand from like the 1950s and 60s. You can buy them on eBay for like 10 bucks, but you can also just buy regular ones for like a dollar. Um, please don't buy all the ones on eBay because that's my secret, and then I won't <laughs> go buy them. But always, ca- always carry a bandana. You need it. Um, it's like it's like a new uh, version I, of I your grandfather's at- handkerchief kind of deal. The bandana. Basically. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. I mean, it's, you can use it for so many things. I mean, you can, you can undo it and make it into a bag and like put over a stick, you know, like the hobo bag. It's, it's real. I always wear a hat because I I had an eye. I'm always wearing dark sunglasses and a hat. Um, The sunglasses are Randolph engineering prescription, like super polarized, super dark. I think people think I'm doing that because I'm trying to be cool, but like, it's too bright in here for me. I had an eye injury when I was a kid. So like I, it's so bright. So like, I'm, I'm just like trying to like, always do this so that's why i wear a hat and i'm in austin texas blocks the sun but um nice little little trick i have here is i always keep some money in there little oh, secret stash that's tidy. Like, yeah. it's, it's like a 20 dollars bill like if you're walking into a show here in austin you can sometimes it's cash the door so if, yeah. if anyone's ever going to get like a sweaty 20 dollars bill the band gets it they're like oh that's from taylor <laughs> i have a carology titanium challenge coin right here this always stays in my my um, fifth pocket you have to have this there's a long story behind that and uh, if you want you can go to the carology release article on this these are sold out but you can read about challenge coins and the history of them i have our bellroy by carology collab uh slim sleeve wallet sorry this is the card sleeve wallet and i'm actually getting a new license photo uh this thursday so that short beard guy will be gone from 10 years ago or something. Are those the ones that are available on the website all the time now? Yeah. Yeah. So these are available on the website. We call them our essentials product because a lot of these collabs, they sell out 
and like minutes and it's it kind of sucks you know we put all this time and effort into it and people love it and it's like hey i'm, I'm showing you this right now and you can't get it because it's sold out but we're, we're trying to branch into more things where we're appropriate and where we're possible because we're the, the brand has to be into it too where they can keep making the product and this one's pretty cool I, I really like this it's really simple i'm a really minimalist kind of wallet guy so this is front front right pocket always with me i gotta interrupt you again taylor i'm sorry but i already mm. love the thin wallet so that's like one of that's been one of my pet peeves forever like i have this um i have this wallet actually here it is it's from J Crew. I got it like nine nice. years ago now, but it's just like mm-hmm. one of like the Jacob Ladder ones because I mm-hmm. hate bifolds. I don't like the bulk. Yeah. Like I can only fit four cards in this, and then like mm-hmm. a little bit of cash. That's all I ever want. So I'm so that's honest. all you need. Like I love that. That's really all you need. I mean, I have five five cards in here, and man, I first thing I do whenever I'm like hanging out with friends, maybe not the first thing I do, I probably say hello first, but I like pull up the wallets <laughs> and I'm like, why do you have this free guitar lesson for Baltimore, Maryland? And you live in Austin, Texas. Like th- that's from 1998, like an old movie stuff. There's so much garbage that people keep in their wallets. You can slim your wallet. Like this isn't crazy. Like you can get, you can get thinner than this. I have like, I have a bunch of cash yeah. in here, not a bunch, but you know, some bills uh, and like my um, uh, health insurance card and stuff. But like, you can get even yeah. more minimal than this. Like, get rid of all that stuff. We, I mean, you don't want a Costanza wallet, like this big meat yeah, sandwich. Because, right. <laughs> like, you're sitting like this, you know, like, in your back pocket. Screw that. Like, just go minimal. You can take photos of all the other cards you, like, you don't need to have. You just have them on your phone. And, uh, actually, speaking of which, that leads me to my phone. I'm team iPhone. I have the 14 Pro. And this is a Bellroy leather case with a little rail so that's a mag mag safe i also keep i'm i love doing this stuff i keep uh a hundred dollar bill back there underneath the case as well as a uh that's like my a, go-to move too yeah dude and people are like whoa what is that? Like, yeah dude it's i love it it's coming handy too it's like that's my emergency money like you know something goes wrong and you need that cash you know it'll get you out of a pinch this this took me forever to save up for um it's an omega seamaster and it's the only titanium seamaster that they've ever made with a black dial which is insane to me and it's like i don't know it's from the 90s um i saved up like forever to get it and then i got scammed and then i had to re-save up to get it it's the only nice watch like that i own yeah it sucks because you can only buy it used you know it's and i found some guy in japan selling it and I put it on like a ten dollar NATO wrist strap, um, and I have, I have a friend that actually works at a very big uh, watch blog website. And um, I went and hung out with him. He's like, "Is that a?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "On a?" Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, it, yeah, is. it is." Like, yeah, like, I, I, I love it. Just cheap. It works better than those bracelets. I don't know if you're into that. That's cool. But yeah. for me, I just like the subdued black nylon bracelet, a titanium ring. I have like this observation that I maybe should have made earlier, but I think you're the perfect person to ask this question to now though. I feel like Carrie and I'm using Carryology as kind of the word, not necessarily your brand here, but like the, the thing that people are into of studying carry and like how they want to carry things is this really interesting uh, intersection between function and style that like you are a super stylish person. Oh really? I, I don't think I yeah, am. I think I'm yeah. pretty bummer. I don't know. <laughs> I only wear black t-shirts because they're easy. 
but there's a there's um, but there's still still a selection. Mm. I guess I'm using style in the mm. sense of like things are chosen very selectively mm. um, to to create like this cohesive effort versus just like I'm wearing this t-shirt because it's clean. I'm gonna wear like red shirt and mm. orange shorts. You know, like you care about what your things are. But can you speak more to how karyology, um curates that sense of style and function? Because they are both. I mean, the karyology stuff is incredibly functional, it's designed like you said for a specific purpose and uh, opportunity, let's say, but how do you, how do you speak to that? So that, that's a great um, kind of insight and question as well is like all this stuff that I have, like, I, I don't feel like it defines me. I, I wouldn't, I don't, that's like my biggest nightmare is my, the things that I own that I buy define me. I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, maybe um, they just work for me and I feel like I click with them and mesh well with them. Um, and it really is. It's, it's both, uh, maybe I see what you're saying by the word style. Um, it's, it's my personal style and my selection. And I, I also kind of see it as like the way I think about Carrie is um, in a really nerdy, like brain mapping manner is the way that you have all these things laid out. Like I can t- I'll tell you blindfolded where every single thing in my pocket is, where it always is um, and why it's there, you know? And so you're looking at this, this kind of graph and like inside of bags where you keep certain things and how you access them pocket here, pocket here, pocket here, you know, it's how your brain organizes items and kind of thoughts and philosophies. It's like, it's kind of like how you organize the folders on your laptop or desktop or whatever. You, you have them all over your, your, your file or you have them neatly. You have this, I'm going to design folder, uh, photos folder, documents folder. Like that's, that's carry right there is okay. I have all these certain things kind of mapped out in a different way. And that's that's how I see these things is like floating bubbles here and here and here. Like this would be my um, my travel clothing area for my uh, packing cube down here. And then this would be my adopt kit and up here electronics because I need the electronics more often on the flight. So I, I think it really speaks heavily about each individual person, what's important to them and what's more uh, much more useful for them in their life, uh, in their lives, and kind to um, kind of let them speak on that and kind of create their own. Because like all the stuff I'm showing you here isn't the right answer. Like it's, in fact, it's probably the wrong answer for both of you guys and anyone watching. Like uh, for example, like I'm right-handed. Here's a great example. I'm right-handed, but I broke my finger um, fighting off a, an invader that was breaking into my friend's house like years ago. It's a long story, but uh, uh, in the scuffle, I fell and like broke my finger. It's permanently bent and damaged. So I carry my pocket knife in my left pocket and I carry my keys on this little dangler thing in my right pocket because the keys require more dexterity where I'm right-handed. Normally that's where your, your knife goes is in your, in your little pocket knife goes in your right pocket. So there's all these little things that like they're, they're perfect for me and you got to figure out what's perfect for you and kind of the fun and really difficult part of carry is there's no right answer. So you can go down this rabbit hole forever. And I, I'm, I'm forever. I'm just, I'm just floating. I'm just falling forever going down this rabbit hole because there's, there's no right answer. Every time you think you've figured it out back to the whole camera thing, every time you have it figured out, you know, I'll get a different lens, like a, a faster, shorter, better lens. And then, then it's larger or smaller. And now my whole carry changes. Now I got to get different lens pouches because they have to match because I'm OCD because that one doesn't fit anymore, but then that fits, but it fits under here. So it's, it's really all about 
you and what you want to do with Carrie and and make it more efficient for yourself. It's like a microcosm of the things you experience in life, right? Like it's not a destination. Like your carry mm-hmm. is always evolving. Like it's going to change based on your injury, where you're living. Mm-hmm. Like my carry setup, and I, I wouldn't have used that term when I lived there, but like I went to school in Massachusetts and I lived there mm-hmm. for a while. Like my, what I carried changed dramatically when the temperature could drop to 15 degrees mm-hmm. versus like summer North Carolina. I don't like, I might bring an extra t-shirt cause I'm going to sweat through the first one, but I'm exactly. not going to need a jacket, you know, like and it's, it's going to change so much. That's really, that's kind of fascinating. Lance reminded me though, that we forgot to look at the exclusive item. Oh yeah. yeah. Unique item you're going to, yeah. that you're going to share with us. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's, uh, three things. And these are the last three things of EDC. So it worked out well, uh, slice, right, light, you know, that's the, the kind of the, the main things for EDC. You got to have the ability to slice with the knife or cutting tool, if you will, uh, right with the pen and then light with the flashlight. So actually at the time of recording this, you're going to see two new things. Um, because I'm, I'm already prepping to launch one of these things. Um, we're launching that this week. And then the other thing launch, launches next week. So this is a, an old collab we did with Big Idea Designs. And it is a titanium bolt pen. And I keep a um, a space pen cartridge in here because you can write on anything like in the rain, upside down. But all titanium, all titanium everything if you haven't picked up on that. So keep that in the pocket. And... That's sharp looking. This is the next thing that's coming out. Um, it is the Prion P1 by Four Sevens in Carology. Um, all brand new emitter. Uh, never before used. I think you pronounce it Nichia. I know how to spell it, but I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a brand new high CRI emitter. All titanium, deep engraved pattern on here, which is really hard to do in in um, in a cylinder. Yeah. Uh, clicky. It gets pretty damn bright, and it's um, uh, it's triple A, which is really nice because like I can be traveling anywhere, um, and the, if the battery goes out, I can like find a remote control, take it apart, you know, uh, clock on the wall. And so you're gonna gotta find triple A anywhere in the world. And then the next thing that's coming out is the giant mouse by Carology, uh Riv Titanium. It's really hard to get the light there. But yeah, this is coming Ooh, that out. That engraving on the handle or on the scales. Oh, yeah. Those are lovely. Yeah. And this is our own custom designed uh, pattern. That's going to sell out quick. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so yeah, that'll be, uh, I guess by the time of viewing this, this might, there might be a few left or they might already be sold out. But um, yeah, we're really stoked to be working. It's with already Mouse. got third party markup. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's really nice and small. It's like, and the biggest, the, the, the thing that like, I really asked if they could do this and surprisingly, it wasn't easy to do is all of their knives are um, for right-handed people only, meaning it sits in your pocket this way. Um, so the blade is facing the seam of your pocket, so it won't open up. I, I put right-handed knives in my left pocket before and like, when I reach my hand out of my pocket, the blade is open and like it, it, it screws you up pretty bad. So we actually made it a reversible yeah. clip. So this is actually in left-handed format for me. And then you can just unscrew that screw and make it over. So it can be right-handed or left-handed. So really stoked about those two things that are coming and they um, create a nice little family. 
Lance and I just did the exact same thing. We started like pulling out our knives. We're like, wait, which which direction is my knife yeah. facing? I yeah. just learned something new that there's right and left handed. I'm like, is mine? Nope. Yeah. Nope, <laughs> I was gonna say I'm like you, and my knife is on the left hand okay. side. I don't know why I do that. Probably because the iPhone's in the right, and that's mm. my quick grab. But mm. you know, I'm learning a whole bunch new today. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it's. I mean, just find it. I mean, this would be a great knife to buy. I'm just saying. Um, uh, in, in about two weeks, but uh, yeah, make sure you have the right uh, orientation for a knife because, man, I'll tell you what, I feel like there's a knife I really, really wanted, and they didn't make it in left hand. Like it's the easy way to do it is you just switch, you know, the clip. But sometimes you can't do that because of the way it's designed or whatever. But um, yeah, if you have a right-handed knife in a left-handed pocket, you can screw yourself up real bad. Like I've I've gotten pretty bit pretty bad. And I stopped doing that since then. So this question just came to mind and I, you, you might have answered it with it being reversible there, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious to know what the most minute detail of a project you're working on that the most minute detail of something that you've like focused on. I mean, even like I noticed, so I had a knife where I, broke the clip off because I kept on like sitting into my office chair and like the clip would catch on the arm and I snapped it off and like oh, that I know about, uh, super yeah. frustrating and that uh, I mean I don't know that much about knives I'm honest but it's like a it's a ferrum forged gent v1 and I guess that particular knife like the mm. spacing of the screws is incredibly hard to find it's the only one that has it like that so I bought a different one it doesn't fit anyway I haven't, mm. I haven't I've been without this knife for like four months now because I can't find a clip like even on Etsy they don't exist uh email the company they said they're gonna mm. send me one but you know, that's coming at some point in the next, you know, year, whatever. Um, but I noticed even the point is I noticed on your knife, kind of the way that that clip is designed would be hard for that to happen. Like how, how little, how minute of a detail do you get down to when it comes to designing something like that? Because there are some really intentional details on there. Yeah. I mean, the thing about like product design, at least in successful product design, nothing is perfect. There's very few, designs in the world that are perfect. Uh, one of my favorite perfect designs, in my opinion, is the Bic Lighter because it's just so simple. It's affordable. It's cheap. It's like great products should just like disappear. You kind of forget how good they are. And like the, the whole um, uh, distribution network is there. They're affordable. They last just as long as you need them to. Um, and you just forget about it. Like where it's it's fun to design an expensive product, um, but then you get into the whole thing of value versus cost and help like i can buy i can keep buying a one dollar knife and replacing this you know a thousand or replacing a one dollar knife thousand times but then i'm going to be way over the price of a nice knife that will last forever so ultimately when it comes down to like really many designs again i'll toss that that nerdy designer talk in there that clip that breaks on your that has broken on your chair that's not a problem it's a design opportunity so how do i make that better how do i go back to the drawing board and, and make that better, better, better. And, and we do that for every single project, every single thing we work on, it's tested several revisions. Sometimes these revisions go for months and months and months. Um, sometimes because of the, uh, I don't want to call any projects simple, but the, some, the more simple products just by the nature of them, you know, we can get by in like three revision stages and, you know, you still miss some stuff. It, it, it sucks, you know, and that's why, uh, brands that keep putting out a new version of version three version four is because they keep finding these things so ultimately the answer is like the most minute that you can possibly think about um you know no product is ever finished ever 
I could go back and and find faults and improvements on every single product I've ever designed. And I think that's that's a good thing. You should always be looking to improve them. That's a really great. That's a little bit psycho too. Yeah, and that's a really great point. Is you know those companies that um, are always working towards bettering their product, right? They come out with a version one or version two, whatever it is, the launch. It's like, all right, there's little tweaks along the way um, that can continue to make your product Mm -hmm. great and just kind of you know evolve as it is. Of that being said, Mm -hmm. what companies stand out to you um, that you like the you like working with, and they kind of continue to do that. They kind of continue to improve their projects, even if it's just a small little tweak, but making the thing better and better each time. Man, that's a tough one. Uh, Toyota, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'd love to do a Toyota collab. I'd love that stuff, man. That's the dream, or an airline collab. Maybe you know what? One company that is always trying to do better, and they have they take big risks. And they have major failures, and sometimes people unfortunately die because of this, because of oversights. Um, and you're going to be kind of confused when I say this one, but we are going to be working with them. We actually are already as a small company called NASA, and uh, they uh, they send people to space. And never heard of them. So they're always yeah, they're always refining and refining and trying to improve and improve and improve and. I think that's a good example, even though it's outside of the, maybe the carry conversation, even though we're doing something together with them coming within a year-ish, something like that, is, you know, when you take big risks, you have big failures and you can't have um, big successes without those big risks and big failures. So there's, you know, there's some brands like, um, that's a French brand called Cote et Seal, and that's Sea uh, and Sky, I think is the translation in French. And by far, they're the most avant-garde, revolutionary patterning in the carry world. It's really, really strange. as probably how most people look at it. But it's really, really effective. And I, like if, if the, uh, the people that were behind the brand weren't interested in taking risks, there's no way that uh, you know, a boss or a design director would approve that. Because it, it's, it would be an instant no. You know, all these strange folds and access... It's really, really strange stuff. And I, I think they're really interesting when it comes to refining and, and taking risks. If that is sort of an answer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of which direction, <laughs> which series of questions to go to next. Um, actually, let me start with this one. So like I said earlier, most everyone listening is a maker to some extent. We make hammocks and backpacks and, and duffel bags, whatever, uh, at our homes. As a commercial designer in the sense that you don't make just one-offs, what sort of design tips would you give to people at home that are patterning their own backpacks that they're probably not going to make six iterations of and prototype for four months before they release it? They're going to make one. How do they make that one the best? Or what what sort of advice would you give them uh, to hone in on the designscape before they start ripping apart some fabric? So, I mean, I think the best way, if you're just going to be designing one, and that's um, due to time or material. I mean, I know some some people out there like they'll have like three yards of this like super special material from like 1979, and it's like there's only three yards in existence in the world, so you can't do it a hundred different times. Um, so, whatever the reason of being able to only do it once, ideally you make it twice or three or four times. But I think the best way to do it is even even if you don't want to buy other brands' bags, you know, and all these up here. Get your hands on other bags 
and and look at them, turn them inside out. If you can cut them apart, I mean, you can learn a lot from cutting apart a, a bag you bought at Goodwill or something that's already beyond repair that someone can't get use out of. As you can take that trashed bag, turn it inside out, cut out the uh, the binding, and learn a whole lot about the construction from that. So you can you can kind of make notes and see how they're doing unique patterning and how all the different panels come together and and learn quite a bit that way. Uh, by I'm not saying copy anyone else, but learn about how they're patterning and kind of twist that and make it make it your own. And then if you're only going to be making one, really simple way. I mean, I. I can sew, and I always say that I'm twice as expensive and half as good as an actual pattern maker or maker. So it's it's not, not worth my time, you know. It's the, a, a great pattern maker or a sample maker. They're worth more than gold. I mean, they're like they're the most valuable person in the whole scheme of things. And um, basically, if you don't have the time or the ability or the materials to actually make one ahead of time. So a little trick that we use in the design studios is get some paper and a stapler. I mean, paper and a stapler, it's, it's amazing how you can like, you can scale it down to 50% or do a full size and you can make the whole thing out of paper and staples and just kind of look at it in the form, kind of see it in the round and twist it and rotate it. Um, but it's all also tell you how the panels interact with each other, the pocketing. Um, yeah. The paper or, uh, like manila paper, that stuff works really well too. It has a little bit more body to it. That's a really great way to kind of experiment without, I mean, because once that needle goes down, you're in, you know, so yeah. use paper first. One thing I'm hearing you say is like, uh, this is simplified, but it's kind of a good reminder for, especially somebody like me that likes to just get into a project and not dilly dally ahead of time is like, do everything you can to prototype first like you'll always thank yourself if mm -hmm. you do something first is that right oh absolutely yeah always prototype first in whatever way that is maybe i mean sketching is prototyping in a sense you know um draw out how panels are going to come together do it with paper always i mean it's, that's the whole measure twice cut once thing which is why i have yeah. uh, rulers tattooed on my fingers here <laughs> this is metric and that's standard awesome. you know always because they're, they're accurate too um but uh, yeah, always measure twice, cut once, plan as much as you can. Because I mean, I've I've worked on some stuff before where where it's really complicated design, and uh, there's this one thing I was working on is a uh, a backpack for um, fighter jet pilots for the U.S. military, and it had to carry a very specific I don't know what I'm allowed to say or what very specific flight equipment um, for their heads. And, um, and I know they're very specific equipment and we designed this bag and it had to meet certain criteria and I, I, I probably can't say too much, but it had to meet certain criteria and we made the whole thing and then prototyped it out and it had to, uh, essentially there's like a, a rear laptop pocket. It's not for a laptop. It's something a similar size, uh, part of their equipment, but basically there's this big, like, 40 liter backpack all these pockets and you know molly Powell's webbing all over it and lined and everything and a whole bunch of bells and whistles and they had to turn the bag inside out via the laptop compartment um and it took like two guys in the factory i think this is like three hours like using like pliers to like pull 
mean, because all bags are made inside out sure. and then they're they're rotated, you know. So the whole thing had to go through its own laptop compartment and out. And it was like, okay, so each one of these is going to take X amount of hours and X amount of things. But then it takes three hours to turn it inside out. Is that we're like, oh, yeah, if we would have <laughs> thought about that ahead of time, we could have made you know so i really like changed the design completely because you can't yeah you can't have three hours like two, yeah. i saw pictures they were like Argh! like yeah prototype ahead of time save yourself yeah <laughs> it'll, it'll save you time in the end so i'm going to transition uh transition us into uh one of the bigger chunks of the outline here fabrics uh Everyone listening and everyone here is kind of a big fabric nerd. We love to get into the nitty gritty there. And you are one of us Mm. in this respect where you respect and you love the great fabrics. We're going to talk about what you like, what's interesting, new new stuff on the market. But first, I want to dive into one of the cooler fabrics um, that I've seen, which is your Japanese Black Samurai Sashiko Denim. What the heck is that? And tell us how you used it. Man, that... That's that's the most complicated fabric I've ever worked with, ever. It's like it, it does never existed. It's just, like, it's totally nuts. Um, for those for those Gorek collabs, we, we we do a few different Gorek collabs, but for the GRXC number collection, so that was GRXC two. We've already designed and developed GRXC three. That's coming, I think this year. I could be wrong, but um, so they have to go real big and like. Like they have to go so big for those that that's the the plan is like they just they have to hit so hard. So I was like, okay, we we already decided on the the character samurai because um, each one of those is kind of themed around a fictional or historical uh, warrior figure of some sort. The first one is like some kind of made up fun uh, sci fi space warrior we made up, and like that's why it's Dyneema. You know, it's it's kind of fun and the ti- the patch is titanium. But for the samurai, you know, going back to feudal Japan and talking about a historical figure and had to look at like what they actually used and how that could inspire a fabric of today. And for me, I'm, I'm a big denim head and uh, I actually wear primarily like westernized pants that are like for travel and stuff. I'm wearing them right now, but I love denim. That's super cool. I have, here's a pair of Japanese denim that I have just literally laying right here um but i love the stuff and it's super cool and japan is uh known for having awesome denim and that was my initial thought is okay i want i want to make this out of denim i i love japanese denim and um working with japanese mills uh denim mills is pretty complicated they're pretty conservative and the one that we worked with we got connected via a friend and thank god for that because we wouldn't have you can't just like email a Japanese denim mill and say, Hey, we want you to create custom fabric. They're just like, no, they'll never even respond to you. They're like, no, yeah, it's not happening, you know? So we got the connection and I wanted a 15.5 ounce. That was the minimum for me. Cause I'm like, whenever I wear heavy denim or denim, it's like, 15 ounces or no less, like give me 23 ounces. I was like, they, they should be able to stand on their own, like upright. <laughs> there's, there's photos of this. It, that's nuts. Like you can put a, a pair of jeans straight up, not wearing them. So um, I wanted sashiko denim. And this is, it's a really cool um, style in which, you know, back, back when, back when I was good, um, they, 
they repaired fabric via this method called sashiko, which it's um, kind of goes to the philosophy of like wabi-sabi. And it's like a broken thing that's repaired can be more beautiful than it was before it's broken. It can be stronger. So actually I have some tattoos that are in the sashiko uh, style. And basically it's, it's a thread and needle and it's joining fabrics together in a really beautiful pattern that actually makes the fabric stronger. So I wanted to do sashiko denim, which also like it's, there's some out there in the world, but asking a, a new mill who you never even met or visited, they're like, what? And I was like, yep. <laughs> so I want it to be sashiko denim and uh, it has to be 15.5 ounce or less. And I'm like, okay, cool. So sashiko, that's not possible. And 15 ounces, no, it's not possible. And I was like, okay, well, let's try. And I'm like, okay. So they sent me some sashiko swatches and they were getting pretty close to what I wanted it to look like. It's this raised thread on top of the denim. So then they milled the denim in Japan and they, they did a secondary process where they put the, the threading through it. And it actually acts as it's like basically what the samurai wore underneath of their armor, their plate armor. And it's, you know, cotton fabric. Uh, not denim at the time per se, but um, modern interpretation of that. And then the the stitching they would do, you know, to make it stronger if it ripped or something. So they sent me these sashiko swatches and they're all like, I forget the exact number, like 10 or 11 ounce denim. And I was like, okay, that's cool, but that's not going to, that's way too light. And we're making a backpack out of this. It's going to be like really high end and really durable. It has to match Gorok's whole ethos and philosophy of like super tough, durable stuff, military grade. Um, so I went back and I think they got to 13 ounces. And I was like, okay, cool, but still no. And I, I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I was being very, very polite. You know, you have to be with these guys. And then they finally were able to do 15.5 ounce Japanese sashiko denim and black on black, of course. And it was perfect, you know, and then like in the, at the end, I was like, okay, cool. So now that you're able to make this, are you able to apply like a, like a water resistant finish, like a DWR? And they're like, dude, like, no, like, <laughs> stop not, asking his no, question. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even know. Like we don't do that. Who's adding DWR to jeans? Like, so there's like, you can have this fabric or just don't ever talk to us again. So they're like, okay, done. So we ordered the fabric, you know, made in Japan craziest awesomest fabric ever but denim is a pretty bad fabric for backpacks like if it rains and now your backpack weighs like 40 pounds just because it's gonna soak up um so we hit up my friend taylor um at dimension polyant and we said hey uh we want to take this fabric have it shipped from japan to connecticut and then have you like add all the bells and whistles to it so then it's a waterproof highly durable even more durable uh, resistant fabric um and he said sure so they put a laminate on the backing the performance coating on the front that like prevents even uh, more abrasive resistance and waterproof it's a waterproof fabric it's water resistant uh, coating on the front but water will not be able to pass through that fabric so it's it's this cold kind of story between the ancient world and, and the current kind of future or current and future world um making this super crazy denim fabric that took like 16 months of my life. Yeah. That's the most insane fabric I've ever worked with. Are you able to talk about how they laminated the 
waterproof layer to the denim? Like, cause, uh, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of yeah. fascinated how you take that without ruining either one of those layers. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had to send some sample yardage from Japan to Connecticut ahead of time to see if it was impossible. And I know there's some proprietary stuff that even I am not privy to, but like I've been up there and I've seen the machines, you know, laminating and all that stuff. And I've you know, like been taking videos and photos like, actually that part, can you please delete that? I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, Cause they have, you know, super each, each one of these brands, they have their own yeah. proprietary stuff. So I don't know the specifics. I know that um, part of the bonding agents and the coatings themselves and the way they're applied are all proprietary to them. And I'm no chemist, so I can't tell you what makes their coding better, but um, there's some science and, and math and testing behind all of that stuff. And there's, there's like real numbers that um, it's not just like, okay, let's throw some glue on there. That should be good. It's like, it's properly tested um, for durability, uh, wear resistance and waterproofness, you know, via the, the column and the water and all that. It's, it's pretty advanced stuff. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great looking material that looks just like denim, but I'm really excited. I mean, we, we launched those, man, uh, time flies, uh, not too long ago. Let's, let's put it that way, less than a year ago. So I'm really excited to see how these things start to wear in, in five years. And I know some people, um, they've, they've already waxed their denim. So they'd like use like Filson wax or, you know, um, otter wax, something like that. And they've waxed the denim, so it looks really cool, and it's like shiny, and I think it's really uh, interesting. I actually uh, got my hands on that backpack. It was incredible because I've known working with you and a couple other collabs, um, you guys really push the limits on, hey, you have a great product. Let's come in with something different and make this really stand out, right? The garage built gear, pouches, uh, different things like that. So when I saw the design article for this one, I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. I got to get this bag. It's 800 bucks. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Um, the products team loved mm -hmm. it. We loved it inside and out. And that's, I can't wait to see these two years down the road when the denim's beat up like a good oh, pair of jeans and still, still holding so cool. up beautifully. Yeah. The inside mm -hmm. red. I mean, that was a sexy collab, but just kind of going off that, you, um, I know you put a lot of effort into some of all your collabs actually, but is there any other fabrics mm -hmm. that stand out from previous ones you've done like that? Maybe not 18 months to two years, but I know you've done a lot of legwork in some of these collabs. So I'm glad you asked. And I was, I was thinking about this because the other fabric um, is inspired by this one right here. So this is one of my favorite bags of all time. I'll tilt it up. That, this bag right here is a Swiss military World War II backpack. And maybe you can link to some photos um, in the comments or the description. But this is, you know, used in the 40s and World War II by the Swiss military. And the Swiss military are, this is one of my favorite bags of all time, by the way. Leather bottom and the salt and pepper fabric with leather attachment straps. Um, uh, the Swiss are notoriously known for being neutral during the wars. And... What being neutral means is basically of enemies on all sides. They were neither uh, affiliated with the Nazis or the Allies. Um, they, they basically had enemies. You know, the Nazis their enemies, the Allies are their enemies. Um, if if a plane flew over their their airspace, they're shooting it down. Doesn't matter who. You know, they're they're protecting their borders, and that's cool and all. But you know, they have to uh, prep a military um, 
with the resources they have within their own borders. And Switzerland isn't really like, it's a really beautiful country, one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. But it's not really like lush with resources, um, especially during a war effort. So they, you know, they're most back then, the, the clothing and the, the fabrics were primarily uh, cotton and wool. And Switzerland's a very small footprint, so they quickly ran out of both. And this, you can actually find this bag made out of uh, pony fur because they were getting ponies and using the leather. Like, so it's the whole thing, you know, it's a great, it's great material, honestly. But um, this one, it's a salt and pepper material. And it probably looks green right now on the camera, but it's actually flecks of white and green. And the Swiss, they were running out of cotton and they had to figure out how to extend the cotton. And so there's this stuff that's primarily famous over in England called stinging nettles. And it's like this weed that grows. And if you walk by it with shorts on, like it'll, it'll mess your legs up pretty good. It's like this nasty prickly thing. They actually do a nettle eating contest over in England, uh, which looks like hell. They're like, it's like eating thorns, but they basically figured out, okay, let's get these nettles that are useless and everyone hates them. And they're able to blend this, uh, this nettle fibers with cotton fibers. So they're basically able to extend their cotton usage by 50% by making this 50, 50 blend. And when we uh, did the first uh, track collab, the store SP is like the travel bag. Uh, we, Alec and I, the owner of track, we went over to Hallie Stevenson's, a um, probably one of the most famous wax cotton manufacturers in the world. And they've been making it since the 1800s. Same factory. It was really cool. Really cool factory. These really cool old, like, 1940s, 1920s machines. Um, you know, rolling fabric into wax. This hot wax stuff. Um, but while we were there, they said they actually, they've been working on this fabric that I've already, it's, I've already known about. It's one of my favorites. I've had this bag for forever. I've had it since the 40s. I'm really old. But, uh, they actually figured out how to remake this fabric and they, they kind of developed their own singing nettle cotton fabric and they were able to do it in like a gray and a black. And Alec and I, I was like, they're like, yeah, check this out. We just came up with this. I was like, I, where we're using that. I don't, I don't care what. So it's a salt and pepper, really cool color. And their, their whole thing is wax, wax uh, finish, um, traditional, you know, um, old school method. But, Alec and I asked if we could kind of blend, you know, future past together. So we, we figured out a way to use like a PU coating and a wax coating. So you get this dry finish, uh, nod to the past using real wax, but the PU for the extreme water resistance. And uh, we use that on the store collab. And like, that was really cool. And it was really great story made in Scotland. Really. I love that one. That's awesome. And that's a good looking pack. So beautiful to see that. Mm. Um, what, what other brands are sticking out to you and what other fabrics out there specifically? Is there, uh, anything that really jumps out at you? Fabric wise, which brands are really kind of pushing it? I mean, they've been doing it forever. Um, I got one right here. Uh, Tom Bin. I, I really love their, the, uh, the liner fabric. Basically it's, it's ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, AKA Dyneema, which is just a trade name you know, woven into this, um, this, I think it's a nylon base, but I, I, I really like what they're doing there. They've been doing this forever, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're currently on the cutting edge of materials, but I mean, sometimes you don't need to be like th that pack right there, I think is, 
Yeah, it's a 1680D ballistic fabric, nylon. And you know what? Like, it works. It works great. You know, there's a reason that that stuff sticks around. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I love, they make some of their packs, their exterior packs out of that same, um, I can't think of the name now, what, what they call that fabric. Um, I was right on the tip of my tongue. But um, everyone kind of has their kind of, their kind of niche when it comes to fabrics. And I, I really like, as far as, as, as far as the collabs go, kind of like pushing brands outside of their comfort zone. That's kind of the whole philosophy of these collabs is like, like here's a Gorak GR1 and 1000D quarter and nylon. And it, like if brands come to us and say, hey, let's like make this bag, but in, in orange. It's like that's not a collab. That's just the colorway. <laughs> so like if we just said, hey, Gorak, let's make, let's change the color and keep it like that's not that's not really there's no depth to that so i really love like pushing brands like Gorak that are known for just thousand d to do something like um i can't really show this but like here's the samurai fabric Mm -hmm. i can't show the product (laughs) so that's i guess another another teaser um yeah so uh so like that that's really cool. Like to do, to do something with a brand that they would never have thought to do and kind of like exploring that, like, and then here's the track bag, the mirror edition. Like track is all about uh, using wax cotton canvas. And that's a completely, uh, you know, brand new fabric made out of ultra high molecular weight, polyethylene, Dema, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, that's made by challenge sailcloth. And, you know, it's like basically fabric from the future. It's the strongest, material on earth strength to weight like period um and that's really fun to use something like that when track only uses old school wax cotton canvas so i I love kind of exploring new new avenues with brands i guess i'll give you the question a little bit more feedback and then i'll see what you say after that but one of the questions i wrote down is i wanted to ask you what you look for in fabrics when you're doing a collab and what i've noticed about a couple of your stories so far is that there's often like this conglomerate of like a really great story of old with like modern technology. Is that synonymous with all of your collabs? Or is that just unique with the two that you've mentioned? And then to the actual question, what do you, what do you look for in a fabric? So, I mean, a lot of these collabs, they are really driven by the story, um, but function over everything first, you know, like, like the, the samurai, for example, like they wore silk. But we can't we're not making a backpack out of silk, you know. Like that's cool. We made we made the pullers out of silk cord, and actually silk rope is super strong and super durable. But you know, there there still has to be a utility aspect to it. And I really love the mixing of the the future and the past, or the at least the present and the past, um, leaning towards the future. Um, but that's not always the case. Like the the Gorak, the first one we did was uh, you know, all Dyneema, so there's definitely no real past element there. But I mean, for me, the the thing that I'm I look for in a collab or a fabric when doing a collab is I mean, ideally, something that doesn't exist. You know, like my my whole life I've been a nerd and I've been dreaming up like I, I walk into a store and this is like this is before all these backpack brands that are awesome existed that exist today. You know, I was in backpack or outdoor gear stores looking at backpacks. It was like three brands, like Osprey, the North Face, and like Jansport. 
you know, like all these brands that are over this wall, they they weren't around. I guess Mr. Ranch was around, but um, Delroy wasn't even around. Um, Delroy wasn't around. So these packs, I'm just like, oh, cool, nylon. Oh, cool, nylon. And dude, nylon's great. Like top three fabrics, Cordura, 500D, 1000D, top three fabrics ever made. It's, it's awesome. It's affordable to make, multiple colors, waterproof enough, water resistant enough, I guess. Um, but I was like, dream like what what else could we do i'm looking at a pendleton wool blanket over there and across the room let's do some of pendleton um then uh, let's add a laminate to it so it's waterproof i don't know it's, it's it's fun to to see what else hasn't been done and that's that's my favorite thing to do is figure out what the next thing that hasn't been done that's still going to perform awesomely i love that i can't wait to see I'm like intrinsically interested in your releases now just to see what sort of crazy collaborations and uh, weird things you can do. Like maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're going to make uh, waterproof mesh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of crazy stuff now, but I'm excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I don't want to say too much. Uh, if you're a fan <laughs> of John Wick movies, uh, there's, there's, they talk about a fabric in that. Um, yeah. Anyway. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> just keep an eye out. We'll 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 put so all of these things that, that Taylor's mentioned. We'll we'll get as many as we can in the show notes for links, um, like to the the French brand and the uh, the samurai cloth that we talked about. Some of these things, um, but also just keep an eye out. Curiology has uh, an email list that you can be a part of, and and you can see whatever they release. So check out their blog and things like that. It's a good good time to mention all those things. Um. All right. Another pit thing that you uh, could definitely be considered a, a pro in, or at least someone uh, a connoisseur of, are, are components. Components are a huge part of design, bags, all of the above. Uh, so I want to dig into this with you a little bit. Function over everything, something you've said a couple times already. Mm-hmm. So when you're designing, what are you looking for in a component after function has already been considered? I mean... The user experience is a big part of of everything. I mean, it's the so when you're looking at a bag, like we we chose uh, X pack material here, Cordura material here on this one, for example. But you're never really touching, like you're never really interacting with this panel of fabric. Like I'm not my when I go to use this bag, I'm not like you know that's not what that's not the purpose of the bag. I grab. A zipper puller, you know, and this is a, you know, just some paracord with some shrink wrap on it and YKK AquaGuard zippers. So that's an, an interaction point, and that's what's really important: it's an interaction point that you actually touch and you deal with. Um, you'll see this a lot in automotive car design. Um, like the hood doesn't need to be made of anything spectacular because you're not really interacting with it. The grab handles inside of the doors; those are usually dulled up and kind of tweaked up a little bit using maybe real metal because you touch it and you feel that coldness, you know, where, you know, something underneath the seat doesn't need to be made out of, you know, metal per se. I mean, the bracket does probably, but, um, you know, so these interaction points and here's like Bellroy, this is their own custom made uh, little hook right here and their own little like ladder system. And that's an interaction point, major interaction point. Down here is a track bag. This is their old school um, laser, or sorry, water jet cut uh, steel buckles. 
that are I, I think they're really cool and fun to play with. They've recently mostly upgraded to Cobra buckles, but it's interaction points. There's a North Face bag with leather or pullers. Um, so these interaction points are super important. It's the part of the bag that really connects the customer not only with the product but with the brand. When when people are touching a zipper puller, that's a direct link to the brand, the the design, and what your brand stands for. You know, are, are you just going to use some plastic garbage that's going to break? That as soon as a, a zipper puller that's plastic that's garbage breaks, that brand sucks. That's I mean that's what people say. Oh man, that zipper broke. I hate that brand. They suck. So uh, the user experience is wildly important. It should work and it should feel good. It should be intuitive and it should be fun to use. I mean, it, that, that's a, a real thing about using a product that should bring you joy. It should make you happy. It should be awesome to use. You know, it's, it's important. And for me, I have some well-known favorites. Um, and there's, there's no, no hiding that, but like the ITW Nexus Duraflex is also great. Um, these buckles are great. They make a great noise. Um, it's very satisfactory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they work, they work really well. I mean, they're, they're, they're rated extremely high for their weight, strength to weight ratio. You know, they're cool. They work and they're great, you know, for lots of different applications. Uh, military specifically works really well. You know, they have a breaking point. So they actually won't, if you get caught on something, they'll break away and you can not get caught in a helicopter, you know, that's crashing or something, you know, all sorts of different scenarios like that. And then I have, two other favorites let's see i got a this is a big it's a bedouin dust bag full of hardware <laughs> i put these in here one is the cobra buckle and i actually i visited austria alpen over in austria at their facility where they where they make these things i wrote an article about it in Cariology, and it was fascinating these are the as far as like buckles are concerned, these are the best on earth. I mean, they, they just are like, they have a brake strength, like pull strength of like 2000 plus pounds. It's in a car. And like, you don't need that. Yeah. Like it's absolutely absurd, but it's overkill in a great way. And it's just, I, I keep this on my desk. Cause it just, like it's, it's super fun to use. It's just awesome. 2000 pound brake strength. Fidgetoy. Yeah. Fidgetoy straight up. CNC milled, metal stainless steel brass lemon and um yeah i think that's it yeah i saw them making these over there and i was asking what um what i could photograph and take videos of them they're like nothing they everything's proprietary over there but uh yeah it's, <laughs> it's in this beautiful region of austria and uh yeah i love these buckles they're very expensive but that also comes with the safety rating and the awesome user experience there's tons of knockoff uh, versions of these uh, but just as on principle i don't support anything that is a knockoff so i like the, the og ones austria alpen cover buckles and then i actually saw the owner and founder of this brand speak um at a design conference that i attended and it's a german company called fidlock and i love this the only way to open this buckle is to slide it so there's a channel in here I'm sure everyone, if you're a maker, you know about this, but that's the only way to open it is to slide it. And then there's magnets in here and it pulls it together. So it can't be opened again that way. It can only be slid down 
and then it goes back in. It's wild stuff. But the uh, the the owner founder he told a story about how he kind of invented this con- this concept, and he's a uh, he's a traveling cellist, and he owns this like really really expensive like antique cello, which is his pride and joy, and basically you have to have a super nice protective case for this. You know, traveling to a concert that he's playing with some you know symphony orchestra in in Paris or something. So he gets a cello case, he sets it up on stage, and he un- undoes the, the cello case so the cello's looking at him. And he lifts it up and basically puts it on its single leg. And so he's holding it, and this thing's, I mean, some of these things can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he's holding this cello up, and it's like this tall, so, and now the case is down on the floor, and the bow, I think that's what it's called, the bow, is in there, and there's some, there's some like, buckle or fastening thing that requires two hands to to take that out so he's holding this and he's he's like propping he's like (laughs) like reaching down to like undo this this thing to get the the bow out while he's like balancing on a house a value of a house like on his shoulder on one leg so he's like okay i need to figure out a way to do to get that that bow without using two hands and like oh you know so you create a pidlock so you can reach on there and pull the bow out and then be ready to go. So that was the principle behind it all. And it, they work really, really well. One headed operation. It's kind of hard to do without it on the webbing, but really, really cool stuff. I believe it's patented design, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot more improvements in hardware and trims. There's a brand out of Korea, if I'm not mistaken, called Trimmers. And they're making some really interesting stuff, um, lots of different shapes and styles. Duraflex is stepping their game back up. Um, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot more improvements on trims and hardware, as well as brands like like Bellroy, like doing making their own custom unique ones. I think it's really cool and exciting. It's one of the areas that really hasn't been tapped into very much. And that's that's kind of my prediction for where the carry soft goods world is heading is, is that that's going to be a really big um, change. I'm excited for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a great story for the Fidlock too. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of knowledge dropped there. The one thing I love about hardware and especially the karyology community is it seems to be the easiest way to, to mod your new collab backpack or something, mm-hmm. right? Like you love this great thing. You've designed this great fabric, but maybe the chest strap just isn't for you or you need something here and you mm-hmm. can literally just swap a piece of hardware still the same great bag but just customized to you mm-hmm. and uh you know hardware components definitely makes that possible have you uh, have you done any mods like that yeah I, and that's when i'm designing these collabs and we're working on them you know together with brandon as a team there's this fine balance if you want to give them something really really high quality i mean ideally you don't want someone cutting off a cover buckle but if they want to they can you know it's like each one's 25 bucks so it's 50 bucks on the drain if there's two but there's this balance of you want to give them the highest quality possible product you could possibly imagine. But I still really love adding ways that people can modify it themselves. Like uh, some of these Fidlocks have the, the, the split buckle, sorry, split bar. So you can take it off like the um, sternum strap um, and you put your own thing on there or adding Molly Powell's loop for webbing or Velcro or kind of whatever they think of. And I think that's what's really exciting is, I'll put like attachments on here, like, okay, this is useful for something and it doesn't have to have a purpose. It can be for anything. 
and that's really cool to see how people utilize those things. Yeah, it's it's a fine balance between customizing and providing awesome products that sometimes can't be customized. Uh, but for me, customizing, I've been thinking about this one a lot. This is a tough one. Ooh. But this is probably my most used favorite bag ever. The Mr. Ranch by KLG Unicorn. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of a a bag that can do a little bit of everything for everyone. And that's intentional. I've been thinking, I, this kind of entered my mind in the past couple of days about cutting off these and adding leathers of propellers. I just think they'd, they'd be cool, make it a little bit different. And there's a built-in uh, waist belt. And some people use that um, when they take this out for hiking, but I use mine for travel a lot. So seeing about removing that, maybe turning it into a pocket or something, which again, it's a sacrilege, like slicing up one of these things, because these things are rare and they, the secondary market, I don't even know what, how much they go for. It's, it's, I know it's a significant amount, but you know, make it your own, right? Who, who gives a shit what, what the secondary market is? Make it your own if, you're gonna, if you love it and you're going to use it. So uh, we do sell these, not a paid promotion at all, but it's just interesting to see what people think. Uh, are you familiar with austere buckles? Yeah, 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 I am. I'm interested to see. So I guess the the more robust story around that question is I, I love where Fidlock and magnet componentry in general is going. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the user experience to be really good, but also can be a lot more conspicuous than like traditional open methods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, the austere buckles are kind of cool because it's like a modern ode to like the oldest component ever. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like like a spring buckle mm-hmm. has been around forever. And I, But I love what they're doing there with the machinery, like new colors, but also just like a very basic system. Mm-hmm. Those are just, there's bomber as well. You know, they're cool. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to get my hands on these because actually I, I'm remembering it because I remember the name. I was like, man, I know the name. Uh, I just typed it in and looked. Uh, so the the owner had reached out and uh, I want to get some of these. He sent a bunch of photos, but for the right application, I can see them definitely entering a, a collab. Um, I know that they kind of have that from what I've seen visually. Um, they kind of have that, like that Cobra-esque kind of feel and vibe. And I think that's pretty cool. Can't go wrong with that. All right. Lance has got a super sweet question here that I want to leave to mm-hmm. you to start wrapping us up. <laughs> so... You have to eliminate one. <laughs> and this is Austin, Texas edition. Okay. Backpacks, bourbon, barbecue brisket. You have to eliminate one for the rest of your life. Uh, they're all bees. They go together so well. <laughs> they fit your life. I was going to put black in there, but I knew you wouldn't live oh, without a black man. t-shirt. So I made the decision there for you. Oh, but I, I was, figured it came down was, to bourbon or barbecue. I was going to tell him to put beard in there, but I'm, yeah. you know, we, at least you took some of your troubles away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'd shave my beard off before any one of those three had to go away. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if I had to choose bourbon, barbecue or backpacks, I'm I'm gonna choose suicide. That's <laughs> I'll it. take that. I'll take I, that. I'm gonna that's you eliminate it. anyone. It's not yeah. worth living. It's not worth it. It's over. I mean, you can't have one without the other two. They go. Together. I take a backpack to to barbecue with bourbon in the backpack. <laughs> that bourbon like backpack was one of my together. favorite collabs too. Oh yeah, Wait, that is that actually awesome, a real collab? We're, 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 oh yeah, oh yeah. 
it's a leather it's a leather uh a leather sling correct and it holds bourbon mm-hmm. bottles like four or something and they did a collab yep. filled with it and it is one of the dopest bags ever uh this this kind of goes back to this like kind of brings it all back together the the fitment for those the bottle holders kind of goes back to the camera bag days and how they kind of organize cameras um in that that collab because they're removable so you can just use it as like a sling kind of shoulder messenger bag or you can have it for the bottle holders that were actually for that particular whiskey brand for their uh single barrel release that day or release just that day only that is glorious that was, that was gonna be <laughs> exactly <laughs> just, just to tie it all around that's because yeah. that that was another thing that i thought about bringing up at some point in the outline if we had more time i'm sure we get to hear for hours but kind of the the beauty of designing something that is um i don't say useless because that's way too like pragmatic to say but mm. like it's fun and it's novel to design something that's that unique as well just like mm. making a bourbon carrying bag like nobody needs that but no, it's no, freaking yeah. awesome and i want it anyway like it's still yeah. totally worth it though <laughs> yeah we call that stuff like specialist carry and i man being in this game for a long time i, I get a lot of people they, they email me about doing a freelance project and they're like okay so i do this one very specific thing and there's like three other people in the world let's make five thousand of them and i'm like that, that, that doesn't make any sense but i still think it's fascinating like they, this person carries this this way. It's like a certain piece of equipment. Like, I don't know, they're a seismologist or something. Like, okay, there aren't, there aren't like 10,000 seismologists. Oh, okay, I want to buy that thing too. Yeah. So I love the specialist carry aspect, but it's like, it's super fun to explore. And sometimes you learn a lot and you can apply that to other in types of like generalist carry. Um, but it is fun, yeah. It's really interesting and unique. Awesome. Well, Taylor, this has been really fun. Thank you for uh, sharing some of your time with us and uh, chatting about fabrics, components, bags, and uh, beards, bourbon. Mm-hmm. Beards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's a lot of fun.